Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is, If in Doubt, Get the Gaffer Tape Out. And that is supplied by The Real Gemma B on Twitter. Runner-up is from Phil Bradwell, who says, If only Ferrari could fix their engines with duct tape. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. Welcome to the Baku GP Race Review. It's another fascinating chapter in the 2022 campaign. Not the most sparkling one. But without the bitter, does the sweet taste so sweet? And to be fair, Baku has about a 50% hit rate. So coming up, we'll discuss why didn't this Baku race spark when previous ones have? Where did the Perez promise go in the race? Could Ferrari have challenged today? And do they need a serious shakeup to save future seasons? And can Hamilton keep driving like a flog? like a frog in a blender for much longer. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt. Two rumpets. Secretly delighted about the blue flag penalties that actually got applied today. Rules should be consistent. Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Good evening. I'm drinking red wine to make the review of this race more interesting. (laughs) We can find talking points anywhere in the race. And opposing you, who I think enjoyed the race, is Christian Pedersen. I'm just going to say debate me, Alex. It's going to be debate. Mm, We'll get our general impressions of the race right now. So, yes, it isn't a race that always uh, that always fires. And I think I've said on various platforms that Baku is a race where you either need a crash, a red flag, and a safety car, 
to, to make it come to life. Otherwise, it tends to turn into a bit of a, a procession and tends to fizzle out a little bit. But there was more factors than that in this race. And I know, uh, Van Jean, you I don't think you enjoyed particularly your viewing today. And I know Christian uh, did enjoy it. So let's let's start with the positive. Christian, this race has come under quite a lot of flack for, for not being particularly entertaining. That doesn't mean it wasn't a challenge and wasn't fascinating. But you enjoyed it. What did you like? I think it was uh, entertaining for different reasons than usual in Baku, uh, where it was. It felt a bit like the straight didn't really have the big impact this time around, yeah. and we were robbed from a exciting finish up in the front uh, with the Ferraris. But besides that, we had a midfield. It was a constant battle all the way through, and from a Danish perspective, since I'm a Dane, <laughs> I always check out uh, Kevin, of course, his onboards and stuff like that. And that was really he just he's just so aggressive. He made overtakes, uh, overtaking, overtaking, overtaking all the time until the car broke down. But it was still fun to watch. Mm. And I remember at lap number twenty-one, I was like, "Oh, this there's only halfway through." And when you have that feeling. You know, it's been a good race. So uh, yeah, that's true. And hey, Christian, don't feel bad about supporting someone from your own country. It's completely fine. You're not British. It's, ah, okay. it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. but you have to say it still. And um, I, I predicted on the Ringer podcast, who unbelievably had me back uh, with Kevin Clark. I predicted that with these generation of cars, we might get a bit more racing into turn three because you can stay a bit closer through turns one and two. And that that actually did come to pass. I mean, that was the the most racy sector one we've seen at Baku. I think. I think one of the most interesting things about this race was uh, the top speeds uh, of uh, of the Alpine. And uh, I think the Alpine was, in fact, the reason for turn three being exciting because they just couldn't overtake them on, on the straight. So it had to be turn three as the only alternative. So that probably switched the the, the excitement about the corners mm. and the overtaking possibilities, I think. See, just I'm, I'm going to list the Alpines as one of the reasons why the race didn't pop. But Van Jean, are you... You're having to open okay. a Merlot to get through this race review. Why didn't you like it? A Melbeck, please. Oh, sorry. A Melbeck, please. No, um, the race was all right. I, I mean, I, I think I phrased it as it's the it was the second most boring um, Baku <laughs> race mm. since the first one yeah. when everybody watched the F2 races, watched all the crashes, got really, really excited and then no one crashed into each other. Um, but, I mean, to fair, this wasn't ruined by anything to do with the problem with the race today. This was ruined by two Ferraris going pop and two safety, two virtual safety cars at the exact wrong points. So I think we could have had a fantastic race today, but the second that on, what was it, lap 20, that Charles Leclerc went pop, it just threw it all away because it was going to be an easy Red Bull 1-2 yeah. and then whatever came behind. It was a good battle in the back, but yet again, the TV direction didn't actually do a great job at showing most of it again because there was lots of stuff going on which didn't get to see it uh yeah so i find myself you know i was thinking when i was watching the race that i wasn't particularly thrilled and because i had a kind of pre-existing thing in my head that baku only is good if there's a big crash and a dramatic uh, red flag and safety car you maybe i've allowed that to cloud my my judgment a little bit matt however i will stick to my guns when i say a 20-car grid will always leave us vulnerable to races like this, where like a specific manufacturer has a bit of trouble. We lost 18 Ferraris in the first two laps. And then suddenly, you know, given the fact that you've got the buy-in drivers who were anonymous today, barely troubled the scorers at all, it just meant that where, where was the fighting to be had? 
Well, I think uh, things we lost out on uh, through reliability were uh, seeing Joe beat Botas, which he was doing quite, yeah, quite well this entire weekend. Uh, we completely missed out on that. But really, and maybe this is just an expectation thing for me. I was looking forward to the battle of the aerodynamic concepts between Red Bull and Ferrari so much. And with Leclerc taking advantage of his teammates' demise, whereas Perez missed the pet, I was like, oh, this is it. You know, yeah. Red Bull are chasing. They've got the top speed advantage. And then, bang, there's just nothing. I mean, literally at the front, they're telling Verstappen, please go slower. You're only supposed to be driving 48s to make the engine last to the end of the season. And they're like playing video games on their on their consoles and the cockpits because there's just nothing to do at the front. So there's got to be a delay between the radio messages and deciding whether to broadcast that. If you're trying to build up an exciting picture of F1, maybe that's not the conversation to broadcast of them arguing about how slowly they should go. Christian. Uh, just to uh, uh, make a point on that exactly, if if you listen to the Albon uh, radio message after the Alonso incident, which we're probably going to talk about later uh, in qualifying, the actual radio message was, I think, in four bits set at four different times by Albon after he finished the lap, which was just edited together for the live uh, feed. So you it? can't really... Uh, and you can't really do them live either. So so they will always be delayed, always. Uh, I just wanted to make a point about the race. That yeah. If, uh, For instance, if you watch Sainz in qualifying, how he drove the Ferrari, he really had to not overdrive it, but they ha- they had to drive the cars in a in, in a harsh way to make good uh, times here. And you could say Latifi, Schumacher, they were so far back. So I, I think I think these new cars on a track like this was brutal today for everyone, not just the bouncing, but also the way you have to drive the cars. And that also made it exciting, extra exciting for me. See, what I saw from qualifying was the two people hustling the car the most was Leclerc, and Perez, and they were the two guys who were the fastest. Sites was doing that, but he made a big error. He had a massive swapper, I think twice in his mm-hmm. in his final lap. Um, that is what cost him all the time. And I think that's where Verstappen has been struggling because this car is quite understeery for him, and he isn't reacting quite as well as he would like to. Um, that's why mm-hmm. Max isn't looking his ragged self you know uh, what was it Saudi last year yeah you know he's not looking on the edge where Leclerc and Perez today uh, you know, on yesterday looked fantastic just wringing the neck of it kissing walls you know the kind of stuff you only really see in Monaco so look I'm I'm the first to to turn around and, and try and put down negativity you know I am a massive cheerleader for for Formula One basically that I think the reason why I, I, I felt that not only did this this race not spark for me uh, and that that is not acceptable because I always say, you know, there's going to be the odd boring race in Formula One. And I stand by that. But with the street circuits, I think you can see it coming. And with Baku, there's a, there's a very predictable formula where if someone has a crash at the right time and has a safety car or a rate, uh, late red flag, you get drama, but not necessarily racing. And this was one of the races at Baku where that didn't happen and, and things didn't spark. But there were other factors as well in this race. Obviously, so many retirements. And in fact, the Alpines, acting as a roadblock, acted like an, electric, an electronics capacitor. You know, they built up the pack behind them, and then they slowly let one car by, and then slowly let the next car by, then the next car by, which just created this gap 
in the midfield. So there was a number of factors. It wasn't just because, oh, you know, Baku's rubbish. But I think in general, if you see any of my tweets, I think you can see I'm getting a little bit tired of street circuits. By the time we finished Vancouver, uh, it will be... I've done it again, haven't I? By the time we finish Montreal, it will be six temporary tracks out of nine. So I've just had my fill of temporary tracks. But looking forward, it's only Singapore that is left on the calendar that's a street circuit. Yeah, it's kind of like eating all your vegetables first before uh, yeah. you dive into the rest of the meal. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I, and I think, yeah, we'll, we'll get to this with um, some team approaches as well. But knowing now that those temporary tracks are out of the way almost is making me feel a bit better just a, a short note on 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 racetracks in the city i don't think you can count uh, monaco for real racetrack anymore i'm i'm the same opinion as you but i would say some a track like baku it's not the the fact that it's a street track that makes it boring it's it's the 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 overuse of 90 degree corners which just makes uh, just it takes away everything that f- feels right about racing it's a stop and go Yeah. thing and that's not racing every time you see a good racetrack it's where you have flow where you can build up your personal driving style and stuff like that and you can't do that in Baku and that's what's wrong so I think I, I just want to people are writing off I've seen a lot of prominent people writing off the current regulations for racing and I just want to pause that judgment until we get back onto the the, the permanent circuits because I think we have I don't think I've ever seen this with six street circuits so close together i'm going to judge them when when we get into the hungaro rings and the silverstones and the spas alex um from what christian just said about the 90 degree corners for those that don't know the reason the 90 degree corners um aren't great for racing is because what it does is everyone slows down and then you get the big concertina effect so the person if you're especially going onto a long straight is the person ahead is on the power long before yeah. the person behind so it's just what keeps the gaps where they are when you've got flowing fast technical corners um where they're slightly difficult might um favor different drivers or different cars in different ways um that's what brings cars closer together and i think that is where these cars will succeed mm. but i think you're exactly right in what you're saying hold judgment until silverstone yeah and given given that we know the problems at, at racing at baku actually i think these regulations did allow that racing into turn one uh, patience through turn two and then another overtake into turn three so that is positive but let's look forward to where the race was won and lost Well, Matt, it was won by Max Verstappen. And isn't isn't this a recurring theme? Red Bull just ticking all the boxes, doing everything right. Mercedes trying gamefully and maximizing the result on the day. And just and Ferrari, Ferrariing. They they Ferraried their hearts out. Peak Ferrari. Yeah, now this is a tough one to choose. Because, I mean, if you want to talk about where the race was won and lost, you can look at Perez taking away that position from Leclerc at the start, but then Verstappen being faster across the stint and taking that position away from him. But as far as the race we were interested in seeing, well, you know, when Leclerc went pop, that was yeah. the end. So obviously, well, I think we go to Ferrari separately, but we can approach the start of the race as, you know, in, our, in, in, a, in a world where 
Leclerc didn't go pop, maybe. And we can look at the coulda, woulda, shoulda of stuff um, because that will that will tell us basically what we're... That's the most useful thing to look at to tell us where we are, where we are in, the season, in, in the season. So, of course, uh, Perez, it might seem like it was for nothing now, but he got past Leclerc. And what are the two biggest weaknesses I've said about Perez, if we go to Perez first for the coulda, woulda, shoulda, is qualifying ability and getting his elbows out at the start. It's like I've long criticised him all the way back to the Racing Point days of just not being aggressive enough off the line. But th- they aren't issues for him this season, it doesn't seem like. No, I, and I think, well, here's an interesting insight that I had um, just reading coverage and watching over the weekend because we, we talked a bit about the oversteer. I feel like the aerodynamic concept that Red Bull has chosen is moving the car very much into Perez wheelhouse, particularly at circuits like this. More so, yeah. We're still, yeah. And 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 you could see it, as you said, in the way he approached qualifying and especially in the start of the race. He got a very good start, managed to get uh, alongside Leclerc, which kept him outside. And then Leclerc locked up trying to break into that turn. And it was over. I mean, I thought it was Perez race at that point. Well, do you know what? Someone compared it in our Patreon Slack group. Hello, Patreon live chat. Someone compared it to perhaps Bottas in 2020, 2021, where he's got that one lap pace, but when it comes to tyre wear in that first stint, it looks like at the moment he's getting you know gobbled up by Max a bit, which is a complete turnaround, Alex. And I just, I don't understand how it seems to have shifted so quickly from Perez the underperforming qualifier uh, but makes the tyres and the strategy last to suddenly someone who's sticking it on on pole and on the front row ahead of Verstappen but can't quite hold it together in the early stint I'm for fear of knocking Perez and no 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 if it's your opinion it's your opinion um I think it's more the fact the car suits Perez more than it does Max. I think Max is having to drive the car in a very different way. And maybe, especially on the single lap, we're not seeing the maximum out oh, of okay. Max. Um, because at the end of the day, Max was incredible in the race today. Yep. He, he he sat back, he chilled out, he fought with Leclerc. And as soon as Leclerc was out of the way, he stormed up to the back of Sergio and dropped him by 20 seconds. So... You know, I just think over the single lap, I think Perez is able to get the get the job done. But again, that whole thing we do see between top class number one driver and good second driver is over a 51 lap race. You can pull out 20 seconds. I think uh, respect is due for the Red Bull car, actually. I think uh, we haven't praised that car enough because it's just the sound of the engine and the way they drive it it's it's a bit like cream you know when you pour cream into a cup it looks so delicious that 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 way the engine sounds in my ears and the way they drive it is just so smooth i i love seeing that car drive and uh, they've built an incredible car this year so kudos of course to both drivers but also to the team uh, building the red bull cars i think I think there's also a chance that um, Sergio needs to be higher up the grid. That was one of his biggest bugbears we've talked about for yeah. last season. So maybe he's setting the car up more for qualifying. So he's further up the grid so that he can be a nuisance to the Ferraris and make sure he's ahead of science and maybe even troubling the clerk. Mm-hmm. Um, and Max seems to be okay with not being on pole. 
he seems to be very much set up yeah. for the race. Well, Maybe he yeah. learned a bit from last season where he did focus on qualifying quite a lot. Um, and actually focusing on the race, I think he's doing max dividends. So well, it's not just Perez that he's been able to get up to the back of when he's not qualified on pole. He's also done that to the Ferraris every time as well. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, but I think it's very obvious that the Ferraris are setting themselves up for qualifying and not for the race. I think they need to stop that. They've got a really good, well-rounded car. And if they can just nail it back a little bit and focus on actually getting the tyre life out, there, out of that car, I think then we could be onto a winner. This is fascinating, Matt. This is, this is what I've been saying last season a bit, but this season as well qualifying has never been less important in formula one and it is becoming increasingly less important if we'd have had this conversation 20 years ago and we were talking about cars setting up for the race and not qualifying that would have it would have sounded mad it would have but you are correct and especially with this particular aerodynamic formula where cars can follow closer and where we see more passing uh, I did hear Perez, I did hear a comment about the setups being slightly different between Perez and Verstappen. So I, I think Alex might have had the absolute correct thing. Whatever Perez's setup was for qualifying yesterday obviously induced a lot more tire degradation on the medium tire. But I do want to bring up these were the three softest tires. So the tire that we saw as hard, the three softest that Pirelli make. Yeah. The tire that we see as hard at most races is actually what we would think of as the medium tire. That would be why uh, cars like McLaren did the best on it and so on and so forth. There's a lot of fun tire goodness in today's race. So, Matt, if they brought the three softest compounds to a track that is notoriously known being extremely hard on the tires, wouldn't that say something about the downforce impact on the tires on this year's cars? Uh, well, I think I think what it says is Pirelli was trying to make the race a bit more interesting by bringing those compounds. But even at that, their prediction was, uh, barring safety cars and virtual safety cars, so we had two, was that it would be a one-stop race for most people. And plenty of people did well stopping on lap nine, putting on the hards and going all the way to the end. Mm, okay, so while we're on Perez, we are, we're going to go to to no fighting. So... We get accused of bias on this podcast all the time. If you look at all our negative iTunes reviews, it's all around you have certain bias. That is that is not a bug. That is that is a feature. Like Christian can talk about supporting Kevin Magnuson. Alex can talk about supporting Lewis Hamilton. M- Matt is a Ocon fan. I'm a staunch neutral. No, I, I support Hamilton <laughs> and Sergio Perez as well. But that is a feature. So people are free to come on here and talk from a fan point of view. And I feel that in any other sport, that is completely natural. I think that's something we need to get a bit more on board with in Formula One. So I'm never going to pretend to be neutral. That way, you can take my comments in context. So when I start saying to you, I'm going to defend Van Jean, I'm going to defend that 20-second comment that you make where you say he got ahead and he he made 20 seconds. This is not a straight out race. So it's not like we're talking about uh, Verstappen getting ahead of Lewis Hamilton, he, Hamilton trying to catch him as much as possible, and, and there, there's a 20-second gap. Once Verstappen got ahead and pulled a couple of seconds, they were both managing their pace. I'm not saying that Verstappen wasn't fastest, but it's not like, oh, he disappeared 20 seconds down the road. Is that at least fair? Uh, I think... Um, Max's engineer kept trying to slow Max down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Max didn't want to. Um, we Did you notice we actually didn't really hear from Perez? 
for the rest of the race. No, because I, I wonder if they, I think I think yeah. after losing the position, the focus. I think his head went down. I think his head went. Down. Well, maybe the head went down because there was one point where he got the fastest lap. To, and it, and it was like you know a good really good lap and then the next lap was two seconds down so either he was extreme tire saving or he was being a bit squiffy or they had said to him your focus now is make sure you've got a pit stop gap to George Russell and bring it home and in that situation in that team situation that probably makes sense because there is a political situation going on here most people will say Sergio Perez is the number two he's always going to get team orders he hasn't got a chance and some, some of that is right, except for I don't think there is no chance, Matt. I, I think he can still play the political game. He just has to race knowing that he has got the jeopardy that if, if Max is behind him, he's not going to get the preferential strategy. So, for example, when Leclerc was behind him, I still felt like he had a chance in this race. As soon as Leclerc picked, pit, pitted out of the way from the science-induced virtual safety car and it was Perez Verstappen, then I thought then team orders are going to come into play. But Perez can still play politics here. Yeah, well, it, this is interesting that you bring that up because he actually was called by his team, Perez was, into the pits for that science virtual oh, safety no. car. Yes, I went back and watched the onboards just for you because oh. it was a question I had too. And they 100% called him in. But it, the timing of the message when I watched the onboards, he was already right beside the pit lane. Oh, and then he's on the radio so... saying, ah, oh, sorry, I missed it. Because they were telling him, mode this in the pit lane, mode that in the pit lane. But he was he was well beside it before the message came across. I know that they don't play exactly the same time okay, yeah. as maybe the drivers get them. So I don't know when he actually got it. But, oh, yeah, it was a missed thing for sure. It's just, just to wait for a second, Alex. What, hold that thought. Put a pin in it. What would have happened had he pitted? So basically, it's either a double stack for Verstappen, and that does put him, Perez, in a good position with a Ferrari and maybe even a Mercedes between them, or Verstappen is is on his own, having not pitted in that, that front lot. I have a hot take. Oh, eh? Um The most disappointed person that Leclerc... The most disappointed person at the fact that Leclerc went <laughs> yeah. out of the race was Sergio Perez. Yeah. And, and in, because, Monaco, in Monaco, it was signs, wasn't it? Because Sergio Perez would have been out in front and you'd have had Max and Leclerc fighting mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Ferrari would have done everything they could to keep Max behind Charles. And that could have given Perez the win. The second Leclerc was gone, there was no way Perez was winning that race. I'm totally aboard the Perez hype train and all, and I've always enjoyed Perez, but mm -hmm. uh, today for Stabman was just way faster. I mean, and also he's the world champion in in the fastest team, I mean, of course he's going to get the, the positive treatment. I mean, yeah. I think everything else oh, would so, be so, so look, strange. Look, I'm not judging Red Bull for having a number one, number two strategy at all. If I was a team boss, all day long, I would have a clear number one and a clear number two. That is definitely the most effective way to run an F1 team, in in my opinion. But just looking at it from like the Perez fan and coach perspective, you go, how can I usurp that? Because the aim of the game is always to become the number one driver or to get into a better team. So from a career point of view, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking at, whether it's realistic or not. Alex and then Matt. But also, especially after qualifying, where are Perez's garage? Are they thinking, <laughs> we've got a shot here? Because he miraculously didn't have enough fuel in the car just before he was supposed to tow Verstappen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love really, that. Really, really standard procedure. I would love to believe that 
the team's going a little bit that his side of the garage is going a bit rogue i know you've you tweeted this we all talked about this on saturday um and i can believe it because mm-hmm. they do they think right well perez is nowhere near as behind as he was he's less than i think he's less than a tenth in qualifying pace off of max verstappen this year so they're thinking we can get him ahead we can have him in this cha- he's in this championship mm-hmm. if he if 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 leclerc um hadn't have gone out the race and it finished yeah. Perez, Leclerc, Max. I'm pretty certain Perez would be leading the championship right now. Matt. Yeah, so I think if Perez was faster, he'd have gotten the better strategy as long as, and I think this is this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, as long as Max is ahead of Leclerc because then he's taking more points and extending his championship lead. If that's the case and I'm Perez, I'm winning that race every time. But today, Max was really faster. But wouldn't all of you say, like, the general feeling, approach, mentality in the Red Bull team is we have Max Verstappen, and he's yeah. going to win the races. And then we have Sergio Perez to help him win the races. I would say so. There's no doubt Max is the faster driver, but Perez is so much closer that for his side of the garage, Very it's, just tan- it's just tantalizing. Yeah, yeah and I love it actually, too. I'm not they can have a stab I'm- and cause a bit of a problem. I'm not trying to downplay it or anything. I love it too, but uh, I also think there's some, there's just some things that's not going to change just like that because okay. of two, three races. Well, look, it's it's exciting, and I think Perez was the the most interesting talking point from the Red Bull side. Not a great deal to say about Verstappen, apart from yeah, he had the pace. Maybe if he set up for for the race rather than qualifying, I think that's super smart. And it's probably smart to split if you've got the ability to split your two cars to be able to have you know one guy up front and one guy with race pace. It's never been easier uh, to overtake and to uh, overcome a qualifying deficit in F1. So yeah, this is smart. This is how the new era of Formula One cars uh, can can race. And Verstappen again, like we've said all season, the Verstappen Red Bull package has been near flawless. Red Bull have done nearly everything correctly the reliability seems to not be an issue anymore so long as so long as uh, verstappen doesn't need drs too much but verstappen has been has been near perfect uh, this season and they are rightly leading the championship sadly we have to go uh, down one one spot on the on the table quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. 
Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Okay, Tafosi. Are you listening? Are you hearing the sound of my voice? Understand that the hand of friendship to the Ferrari Ferrari fans that I extended at the beginning of the season, it is still there. I am not delighting in what has happened to your team. That slight laugh that came out just then, that is instinct. Don't judge me on that. I am fighting that so hard. And I I am team Tafosi in the battle as far as, you know, Verstappen versus Ferrari goes. That was utterly heartbreaking. But it's beyond bad luck now. We have to really start looking at Ferrari and going, what on earth is going on? How is such a great team once again in a title fight, same as they were in 2017, 2018, 2012, and looking like they are just going to completely throw it away? Nothing is going right. They've got the raw pace. They've got great drivers. The tactics seem hasty. The car is falling apart. I don't want to be too harsh, but surely if you're a stakeholder and a fan in Ferrari, you are now calling for wholesale changes on how Ferrari does stuff because it's no good building a good car. They built a good car in all those previous years, Alex. They cannot seem to deliver where it matters during the race, tactics, getting the car to the to the checkered flag. It's it's not it's not good enough to win this world title. Enzo Ferrari once said, aerodynamics is for people who can't build good engines. <laughs> that was 100 years ago. It was 100 years ago. Um, but there were six cars powered by Ferrari engines today, and four of them didn't finish the race. Through all being that kind of part of the car, was was Carlos Science hydraulics? Was it linked? Don't know. Um, I want Ferrari to take the fight to Red Bull this season. I thought after the first couple of races, they were going to run away with it. Um, but they've got to do something because they've got a good car. Just, But I think you've mentioned this before mm. in your engineering days, is that whole case well, of yeah. it doesn't really matter how fast you are. Reliability is part of it. So yeah, failing. I mean, I, I have experience in uh, in engineering project management. And, you know, you go around the table at those design meetings and of course you've got the designers and the performance guys who are going for that peak performance you've got people who were saying okay well how are we going to transport this how how often can it go wrong how will we change these parts when they go wrong on a race weekend would we have time to change them at the track or do we have to, to bring in you know new parts do we have to bring lots of spares and then in the corner somewhere is the reliability guy telling them that adding that performance will make this little part go wrong. And really, this little part can't go wrong. I know it only seems like a little part, but if it goes wrong, it's really going to be bad. And I just feel like at Ferrari, the reliability guy at those meetings doesn't have the biggest voice. And and when he puts his hand up, maybe some people, you know, they don't they don't quite listen. Oh, sorry, Christian, and then round the table, Alex and Matt. I think this is uh, this is a tendency that's been going on for quite some time. You could say the same when Alonso tried to win the championship for Ferrari. You could say the same when Fettel tried. 
and they just missed the point. And when you keep missing the point from both uh, strategic uh, strategic uh, decisions, reliability, all that stuff, uh, even driver errors, when all those things just keep continuing to happen, it's no longer just bad luck. It's it's simply something structural within the team, and. And I think you're completely right about shareholders and stuff like that. They they need to start thinking about this because Stake, stakeholders, yeah, 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 stakeholders. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone involved, I think, will uh, start taking this maybe a bit more serious now because it can happen. It's the little things. It's like um, what was it? 2014 in Australia, Lewis was out on that one because a two pound, um, oh, what was it? An injector or something? Yeah, broke like a little seal or something. And that yeah. was it. The tiniest little thing just causes that problem and i just it always seems to be an attention to detail thing with with ferrari rather than rather than big things and they just yeah i i, I they, they need, we need them in this championship otherwise it's going to be a bit of a bore fest of the rest see of the matt they just they need to start listening to derek in the reliability department otherwise and but i don't think i think that's that's too late for this season i said in the intro is it time to make changes to save future seasons so uh, let's let's look at this. Um, the good news for Ferrari yeah. isn't that, that Leclerc might have a penalty if he needs a new turbocharger, 10 grid spots in Canada, if he does need one to go with his new engine, which he will almost certainly need. But he can reclaim one of the two that he still has on the power units if they work. The good news is if this is a, a real reliability problem, they can fix it this year. And there's a mechanism inside the FIA regulations to allow them to do so. So thing number one is they clearly have a case for changing something based on reliability. But thing number two, uh, and especially I think what this gets down to is the same thing that's plagued Mercedes and, and lots of the teams about lots of different issues is it's just at the end of the day, the sustained amount of vertical G that power unit is taking is not uh, inside of its design parameters. Mm. And it's not something you can easily recreate on a dyno. And it's something that no team modeled prior to the start of the season when they saw it pop up at first testing. And I, I think the engines are literally just being shaken to bits right now. Yeah, that's. I don't think that's an implausible theory. I heard somewhere that, that it was, was it 6G? 6G, they said on the telly, the, the upward force on the engine and components. and. I guess there'd be normally no real need to test the reliability of your engine parts to 6G of, of lateral force. You know, you're talking more like crash structures at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If they do finish a race, it feels like they get the tactics wrong anyway. And at the moment, they're not finishing a race. Leclerc is, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this, and you can quote me on this as well, Charles Leclerc is cursed. Has he had four pole positions? He's had five pole positions and not won any of them. I think it's a record. I think he uh, tied Montoya's record from the good old days. That's not a I'm good. Wrong. That's not a good record to have, uh, Christian. Uh, I'm just shaking my head actually, and oh, okay. I, I was just uh, I just wanted to uh, mention the the fact that uh, Matt just mentioned Juan Pablo Montoya. He took away that record. That is such a final detail. And I, I don't understand it because if you look at how Leclerc drives the car, the, mm. he's so comfortable. He's so his headspace is completely calm. He 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 
knows what he's doing. He knows more about what happens than the team on the pit wall sometimes. I think he's uh, he's really grown uh, this year, and I I see the potential for a world champion right there, and it's a shame that mm. uh, he can't get the car for it. So the reason I'm saying he's cursed is because I agree with you. He looks smooth. He's not got the erratic kind of emotional chest beating, oh, I'm so stupid, self-doubt that he's had in previous years. He's actually been doing everything right. It's really hard to look at and point to something he's done wrong. And who's this in the Jason in our live chat has said that it is Charles Leclerc. And yeah, let's make let's make that stick. In fact, let's can we edit the bit out where Jason said it, where I said just we'll say that I said it. I think we should call him Charles Leclerc. So Matt, how do they fix it this season? Well, I mean, I, I how do they fix it? And not I, just I the reliability, they're... everything. Right. So uh, strategy I don't think they have that much to fix. I look at how the Ferrari car performed up until the power unit let go. I look at where Leclerc was. I look at the fact that they got him into the pits when Red Bull couldn't get Perez into the pits. And I think that this was a winnable race for them, even if Red Bull had made a slightly better conceptual choice, which, I mean, admittedly, that's just how their car was designed to go across the whole season. But if Red Bull had the edge here, I think Ferrari could have won they got to fix the reliability of the power unit. That's job one. And the good news is they can do it, hopefully without penalty. So we're moving on from Ferrari. Uh, a lot of you won't know this, but Matt does a, a lot of the uh, the show running. So gets into the show notes and gives us a bit of a, a running order. And you've called this segment Meatbag Go Bounce. <laughs> Which, of course, sadly <laughs> refers to uh, Mercedes and what a roller coaster we are seeing at the at the Mercedes team. We are watching that outfit go from dominant world champions, having won uh, seven world championships in a row from 2014 through to 2021. And they are having to go through their entire toolbox and arsenal of engineering, of, uh, of of racing craft, of strategy to try and get the best out of this car and fix the problems where they're having. And I think it is one of the most interesting sort of engineering and team stories of the year because things are happening. I, I don't believe they're just completely down in the dirt. They seem to have taken a two-prong approach to their races. From what Toto Wolf said, and I know some people are saying, oh, maybe he's just kind of defending Lewis Hamilton. But from what Toto Wolff has said, Matt, they seem to have been running George out to kind of maximise the package that they have. And then they're, they're sending Lewis Hamilton out, experimenting like this weekend with a, a different floor uh, and previous weekends running test equipment. But I suppose the the payoff is... Hamilton would be the first one to benefit from any of those experiments if they went correctly. But still, the only team that's not DNF'd this season, still in the top three in the championship, George Russell is only about 15 points off Charles Leclerc. And for a disaster season so far, it's not actually going that bad and progress is being made. But Mike, it looks awful. It looks awful on board Hamilton's car. Well, it's not just Hamilton. I mean, we, earlier, uh, I, I'm sure everyone knows that uh, Russell is also head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. And he was saying that the drivers, and I believe this is true, apart from Alonzo, which I saw someone say, that 
the drivers feel like we do need an intervention here because they're getting thrashed about. Ricardo was complaining about it because McLaren had the bouncing today. I can't even imagine what Signs has to say on a reg- regular basis because he just like, yeah. yeah, it looks like someone dropped jello onto the floor when I see the onboards from his, from his, but it's, it's a problem for the drivers mm. and it's, and it's an issue where the teams are not going to really want to do anything to make the driver's life better because that means giving up car performance. Yeah. So, so it is a problem. So Ricardo said, when you see the basketball players and they're doing that trick where they just bounce the ball really low several times, he said it felt like someone was doing that to his head. So there is obviously an issue here. And Lewis Hamilton looked really, really pained climbing out of the car. And I'm not doubting that it it hurt for a moment. Although, as a Hamilton fan, I will say he does have a bit of a, a flair for the dramatic, very much in the mold of... Nigel Mansell collapsing as he pushed his lotus over the finish line and collapsing on the floor. I'm not saying it wasn't real, but Lewis Hamilton likes expressing what he's feeling. If he's feeling some back pain, you were definitely going to know about it and and see it. But I I just want to call out George Russell as the, the, what is it, the Grand Prix driver's president? Yeah. Yeah. So he's calling it a safety issue. Mercedes are pushing it as a safety issue just a a regulation point where they happen to be struggling. That is a leaf straight out of the Red Bull 2013 playbook when Red Bull could not get their aerodynamic concept to work with the softer tire-walled Pirellis. And then suddenly at Silverstone, they leapt on the fact that there was a few punctures. Uh, 2013, I saw them. I was in the uh, the village stands for that. I saw Lewis Hamilton's tire blow near the opening. They managed to get Pirelli to... The, the to get the regulations changed to get Pirelli to put harder walls in which helped their aerodynamic concept and they didn't lose another race after that Mercedes have clearly they've remembered that and they've gone that's what we'll do I'd call that a subjective way of translating that story <laughs> go, <laughs> on then, way, go on then what's your take uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the 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 bouncing is not just Mercedes it's 19 out of the 20 drivers that is a lot and the only driver not voting for it is the same guy who keeps switching the salt and the sugar. And it was fun the first three times, but he just keeps <laughs> doing it on year 20. He's such a, yeah, I'm, I've had enough of Alonso. And I think he's, uh, he's not doing himself a favor these days. And I th- the only reason he's not aboard that bouncing, uh, porpoising thing has nothing to do with porpoising. And that is just how you have to understand Alonso. But I would say some interesting things coming from Helmut Marko about the Mercedes car. So according to him and according to uh, the analysis they have of of uh, t- track times and during both races and practices, they're saying uh, the Mercedes is doing incredibly fast laps both in practice and in races. They don't know when, they don't know why, and that goes both both for the, uh, the competition teams and for Mercedes themselves. But they can see on the radar that sometimes, all of a sudden, the Mercedes cars are just going berserkly fast. But no one understands why. And that is, Ooh, I think, the interesting part about the Mercedes car. I think with Mercedes this season, they are so lucky to have the likes of George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. If they didn't have two of the best drivers in the sport right now, I think they'd be languishing even further back. They've got two drivers there who can push the limits of the car, who can give good feedback um, and hopefully get on top of the problem because nobody wants to see 
Mercedes languishing that far behind and not yeah, in the fight. I think some people okay, want okay, to okay. There are there are people out there who don't want to see it, but we know who they are. Um, but in general, we want to see a three way fight. We were really excited to see a three way fight. We got a bit of a false dawn hope mm. in Spain that all of a sudden Mercedes were back. Um, I I refused to jump on the hype train. I wanted to, but I refused. Ooh, I'm going to counter um, that in a moment. I'm going to counter that. Um, but I, I think the whole porpoising thing, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo in his interview today was like massively sympathetic to the likes of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell because he's like, these guys have been suffering it all season. I don't know how they're not broken. Yeah, and, and I think that goes back to the idea that there are some parameters here that can be enforced without changing the rules, but that will protect the drivers. We added the halo to protect the drivers. Surely we can set a maximum vertical G that the drivers are allowed to withstand before, I mean, you know, but before yep. some something needs to change. Okay, so Chomper tweeted this in one of my replies, and he said, the FIA should put regulations in place for maximum porpoising, amplitudes and if a manufacturer is not able to stay within that regulation it should be a, a dns I, I like they can't start the race or will be uh, disqualified the fia has responsibility to prevent manufacturers from putting its drivers under uh, under risk yeah so i is there, there's nothing technically stopping them having a limit and just saying you're right mercedes you're absolutely right this porpoising is a safety concern from now on you can only porpoise this much and if you can't get below that level you you can't start and they'll just have to give up performance. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. I think that's what the drivers are saying, that, that a, a third party is needed to make sure. Because, look, I know you were just on a podcast with an NFL person. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. might have heard there's some medical issues. Yeah, head down, tackle, long head down, yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and, um, and the thinking is these are sub-concussive um, head impacts which is what do you think you're doing when you're bouncing up and down at, at 6G? I, I mean, I think there are long-term concerns here and it's a good call to take it seriously. Alex? But, but Merck are looking for a mandated ride height change. Yeah, of course they are. <laughs> they are not looking for yeah. um, no. a G-rate because if it's just a G-rate and Red Bull, for example, yeah, doesn't that's... seem to have any porpoising, Red Bull won't have to change anything. Red, um, Mercedes will have to raise their ride height and it'll affect their performance. So that's what they're looking for. I mean, it's not going to go into effect this season, but something I've been saying for a few races now is, is wouldn't something like active suspension yeah, yeah, yeah. That obviously we can't do and, that now. And I, and, and I, I think active suspension is a, is, a, is a lost art form. I think it was such a good technology back in 1990s, early 90s, 90s, 1991, 92, um, when, when Williams had it. And I really believe that can not only solve the problems, but also make these cars look less pathetic because I'm really annoyed watching all of the cars yep. going down yes. the track going, it sounds terrible it looks and terrible for a sport that is supposed it, it sounds looks terrible and for a sport that's supposed to be the pinnacle they got to find a way to sort this out an active ride is something very cool and something people will like we see it in modern cars and uh, i totally agree with alex everything you just said there's completely right and the active uh, suspension thing is should have been introduced uh, already because uh, it's new times and the reason why it was banned had something to do with safety back in the days. Can I just add one thing? I think that the purposing case, uh, purposing case has has some medical merits. So the, 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 the most dangerous, dangerous thing about a concussion is 
hitting your head after the concussion. And if this is basically just loads of continuously mini concussions, that can be quite dangerous. Okay. So Christian Horner says, and I agree with him, I agree with Christian Horner. Christian Horner says, if you change the rules mid-season, which could happen. Rules change mid-season for all sorts of reasons, like we talked about in, in 2013. This is not unprecedented at all. I'm pretty sure that happened with with Frick, with the active hydraulic suspension system that Mercedes had. That was banned mid-season as well. So that happens. So if it is a genuine safety concern, it, it might well get changed. You should brace yourselves as F1 fans for something like that happened. Christian Horner said, if that happened, it's not fair on the people who got it right. And I think he's absolutely correct. But that argument also, Mr. Horner, applies to the budget cap, which you were trying to get changed mid-season. That would punish the teams that had got their finances right as well. Christian? I totally agree with that. Uh, he's spot on with that. But I would say the Frick system wasn't banned because it had it was dangerous or anything. It was banned because it would be too expensive for all the other teams to develop it for their own cars. So it was uh, a budget thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was still Matt banned yeah, mid-season. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right. Yeah. So then I the last thing I really want to address on Mercedes is the Van Gene Doom saying where you were talking about jumping on the hype train in Spain. So everyone got very excited, not actually so much by the qualifying performance in Spain. I think the real headline thing in Spain was how quickly Lewis Hamilton recovered after being brutally and deliberately taken out by Kevin Magnussen, Christian, after being mugged by Magnussen. Uh, But the way he came back through the field was actually really impressive and opened eyes. And then everyone went, oh, this is it. Mercedes are back. And obviously, in Monaco, that didn't show through. And in Baku, that hasn't shown through. The big telltale was in a post-qualifying, I think, interview with Toto Wolff, when they said, what would you need for this to work? You know, is it the porpoising? Is it more bouncing? And he did allude more towards the bouncing side. And what he said was, we need like marble smooth racetracks to make this concept work. And he said, and that isn't Montreal because Montreal is a street circuit. It's bumpy. But after Montreal, my goodness, you have some quote unquote proper street tracks, uh, proper permanent circuits. So after Montreal, it's Silverstone, Austria, Paul Ricard, Hungaro Ring, Spa-Francorchamps, we've got uh, the Dutch Grand Prix, we've got Monza, Japan, these classic circuits with proper racing surfaces. If the Mercedes concept is working in Spain, Alex, we shouldn't get too downbeat that it didn't work in Monaco and Baku and just wait for Silverstone. It was never going to work in Monaco. Um, we, We knew that anyway. But I think the also thing that, I think the thing that did flatter Mercedes a little bit in Spain was the temperatures. One of their biggest issues this season has been getting heat into the tyres and it was astronomical temperatures at Spain and they could finally get heat into their, temp- heat into their tyres and get their tyres in the correct window for their car to work. Um, so yeah, with, with that calendar coming up, um, it looks pretty good. So Mercedes 1-2s for the rest of the season up until we get to Singapore where they'll be rubbish. Yeah, they'll take a little break and then, and then the rest of the season after that, it'll be win. Yeah. So Lewis or George for the title. Brilliant. Yeah, Red Bull can have Singapore, Christian, after, but apart from that. Well, I think the, the perfect championship would be, and that would, of course, mean Ferrari not breaking down, but that would be Red Bull, Ferrari fighting it 
and then after the summer break, suddenly the Mercedes car is working, and then they are going to mix in that threesome, and everything's going to go down to the wire, and it's going to be three drivers from three different teams in Abu Dhabi. And Michael uh, Marshy will return. It will be blessed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't have to say that. Why are you doing this? Why are you yeah, like I'm this, so Christian? <laughs> well, just like Ferrari has blown up a whole bunch of engines so they can make some reliability changes. The good news for Mercedes is that in about 18 more days, they're going to get a bucket full more of CFD and wind tunnel time because they will no longer be leading the World Constructors Championship. And in fact, Red Bull is set to lose some, and uh, I think Ferrari perhaps a bit as well, because they were third last season. So Mercedes will have some extra resources to help them out. But I think on the whole, you're correct here, Spanners. Yes. We've just gone to a bunch of tracks where Mercedes concept works particularly poorly. Yeah. And just like (laughs) you don't want to oversell the promise of Barcelona, you don't want to undersell the fact that they were at tracks where their concept simply doesn't work. In fact, you know, finishing mm-hmm. third and fourth when your car, you know, is going to be terrible here is actually not such a terrible thing. Yeah. So we don't want to look too far ahead here and look to Montreal, but Montreal is, you know, it's going to be similar to Baku. Baku has the longest straight uh Why do I think it's 1.6 kilometers? But I've heard other people saying two kilometers. In any case, it's a very, very long straight. I think the second longest straight is at Montreal, which is the the final straight after the back hairpin. So this could be very similar result-wise and performance-wise in Montreal uh, as it was this weekend in Baku. But then we start a a very European, a very permanent circuit calendar. In fact, I'm going to do my mini Sean Kelly impersonation real quick and tell you that of the top 10, the only person to gain more places than people retired in front of them was Hamilton. He had two people retire in front of him and he gained three places. Yeah, well, top 10. Well, this is it. And Hamilton's, you know, Hamilton's race pace has been reasonable since Spain, you know, Monaco being a bit of a bit of an outlier and, and a bit hard to judge, but his race pace here wasn't terrible. And in that final stint, Gasly, whose Alpha Tauri had been running really, really well, was alarmed at the pace of which at which Lewis Hamilton was catching. Uh, yeah, and it was a tire advantage. Mercedes came back in lap thirty three for the virtual safety car, the second one, and um, and Gasly stayed out. So. Mercedes had that advantage, which is kind of similar to the sort of thing we might have seen had Leclerc stuck around at the end. Okay, let's go to McLaren. Okay, where do you stand on the McLaren drivers? Christian, Daniel Ricciardo coming uh, coming up against some flack. Uh, uh, I don't understand it. Um, I mean, I, I have uh, sensed uh, anti Ricciardo vibe for almost a year now, uh, everywhere, both here and on the internet and during the commentary. And I, I can't understand why so it's something he An- said. Anti-performance or anti-person? General uh, anti Ricciardo vibe. Mm. I, and I don't really understand it. Uh, I, I, of course, would be better for him if he was beating uh, Norris, but it. I mean, is it that horrible? Uh, it's not really, is it? The car is not that. I mean, 
I think people are being a bit too harsh on him, and I don't think, uh, and I don't think it's fair that there's just a Norris in that team. I don't think that's fair. Well, I think Matt, is it cumulative? Had this just been a one-off bad start to a season, it wouldn't have appeared on anyone's radar. But I think last season as well, people were hoping he was going to bounce back, and it hadn't hadn't quite been like that. Okay, so th- let me let me tr- try to say it in another way then. I think a team needs to have two drivers. When when you are in experiencing uh, issues like this, when you have one driver maybe struggling a bit, you have one driver uh, obviously better integrated into the team, same nationality, like the yeah. team's a uh, little baby, sort of. Then then you also have to embrace your driver. You have to help him. And I and I think uh, I think the the whole team from McLaren is doing a great job. But there's something missing in the link with Ricciardo. It's like he's never been a part of McLaren somehow. And I don't understand why. And that happened even before he started having uh, bad races. And those things will affect your uh, on-track performance, without a doubt. Well, I don't think he's, he's wrong, is he, Matt? In the associate Daniel Ricciardo with a team. And it's, it's hard to. He has got this journeyman reputation going, and, you know, and a little bit of a mercenary reputation after the Renault move as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not harsh what Christian said about not seeing him as as embedded in McLaren as Norris. Yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree. But what's interesting about today's race is I felt like Ricardo drove very, very well today. In fact, he may have driven better than Norris. And I will say that the events of today have taken the bloom off the Lando Rose for me. Because I took the time to go back and listen to all the radio conversations. But even before that, do you know who we really have to blame for all this interfamilial strife? Strife? Uh, Is it uh, Juan Pablo Montoya? Almost. Alonso. Well, you all Alonso's fault. No, I look. Yes. no one likes to I blame agree. Alonso for things more than. I'm happy to blame Alonso for everything wrong with Formula One. <laughs> all right, okay. Email Matt at fairmistakepex.net. So at the start of the race, how was that? Not... Okay, fine, go on. Uh, well, no, I'm going to explain. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I'm listening. As part of this now incredibly lengthy diatribe I've launched upon apologies to our listeners, um, but Alonso was ahead of Norris. And Norris was on the medium tire. And Daniel, as you'll recall, because I'm sure you recall what tires he was on at the start of the race, was on the hard tire, oh, which you... turned out to be a much better car yeah. uh, tire for the McLaren. So he was faster than Norris. That's my point. Can you blame McLaren, though, for not being in a massive hurry to get, uh, to get um, Norris to get out of the way for Ricardo? Because oh. Norris has been delivering. Am I going to blame them for that? Mm. No. In fact, um, what interested me most was that they did not take advantage of the virtual safety car to pit Norris. And instead, when Alonso finally pitted on lap 18, they ran him longer to try and overcut him and, and asked Ricardo, who clearly overlapped him a lap or two before Norris pitted on the, on the straight. I mean, he clearly had the pace to get by him. Uh, and Ricardo all along was like, well, if you're asking me, I've got more pace. We need you to wait one more straight so we can oh, try and the overcutter and Alonzo. Nothing. Sheer professionalism from Ricardo on that front. Okay, so Karen's saying McLaren handled it poorly. They should have tried to undercut Alonzo with Norris. The overcut was never on. And then Jack Savo has said 
that Norris sounded almost offended at being asked to play the team game. There's, there's quite actually there's quite a few negative comments about Norris in our live chat, which I've, I've never seen before, and I've never heard you speak no- negatively about Norris either. So this is all a bit of surpri- of a, a surprise to me. Tell me about the radio and what you didn't like. Well, we we cut now to when after um, Ricardo has done his pit on lap 33 and now Norris is catching up to him. And if I'm going to be fair, it was initially initiated from the garage side, not from the Norris side, but he basically says, well, you need to tell Daniel, like you need to tell Daniel to push because Ocon's going to catch me, even though, and now here he may not know where Ocon was, but Ocon was like 10 seconds back of him. Ocon was never a threat at this point in the race and the team knew it. And eventually they get back to him and say, well, here's the deal. If you catch Ricardo, uh, we'll swap places. But if you can't get by Alonzo, then, 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 then we'll swap, yeah. then we'll swap you back. We've and his basic thing yeah. is like, well, uh, well, before that, and this is, I think what really got everybody before that, he goes, well, you know, uh, when they told him they hold station the first time, he's like, well, why? Well, because we did that. Because Ricardo did that for you. Well, that was strategy. This is the race finishing position. And I think that that kind of made me sit up. Uh, but really, it was it was just the way he continued to handle it as if he was entitled to be moved past Ricardo because he was faster now. And what the team told him was like, well, look, you finally caught Ricardo. There's two laps to go. Alonzo's too fast. You're not going to get by him. So no, stay put. And to his credit, he did. He did. Wow, he but did. He so barely I'm... really didn't sound happy about it, even though he yeah. was never as close to Ricardo as Ricardo was to him early in the race. And I think Ricardo gave up more time behind him significantly than vice versa. So, Alex, I would say that Norris's car position was a not-so-silent protest in those last few laps. It's the second time Norris has been told not to overtake um, Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, the last time was Mon- oh, the last time yeah. was Monza last year, and he wasn't happy about that either. Um, I mean, listen, I'm I'm firmly in the Ricciardo camp. I like Nando Norris as well. I'm I'm a McLaren fan at heart, so um, I just want to see McLaren go forward. I've always believed in Daniel Ricciardo back from when back from his uh, Red Bull days, and even before then. I do think form is temporary and class is permanent. He is a proven race winner. You put him in the position where he can win races and he will. The thing to remember is Lando is no mug, you know, as far as a race driver is concerned. He has... He has battled wheel to wheel with George Russell, with Max Verstappen, with Charles Leclerc, all the way through the junior categories. So as far, he hasn't been able to show it, but I believe Lando is at that level. Um, and even if Ricardo is a tiny bit below that level, that doesn't mean Ricardo is not very good. I do believe the brakes on the McLaren is what is causing Daniel Ricardo's biggest issues, as we have know he, as we know he is. Um, Mr. Last of the Late Breakers, and that's where his speed comes from. And I think that's where he's missing the most. Okay, but wasn't Ricardo also playing politics in that? So uh, Jose in the chat says, uh, Ricardo saying, Alonso says he hasn't, uh, uh, no more, no more pace, or, you know, he's managing the battle ahead so that he doesn't have to let Norris through and return the favour, which he feels wasn't really a favour, Christian. So look, they're both playing politics very clearly at McLaren. You haven't got a Mercedes or Ferrari situation. You have got 
two teammates at war vying for position for future seasons and future contracts? I think, well, looking at it from a numbers point of view, war. Uh, the, 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 I think the second that Ricciardo had the message that uh, try to catch Alonso, he immediately got him by one second. And he was between 1.5, 1.3 seconds behind Alonso, and Norris dropped back. And then they realized, listen, I'm not going to overtake Alonso. So he dropped back a bit, and then Norris catched him. So there's a lot of uh, probably miscommunication or communication from the team to both cars, yada, yada, yada. So I don't think you can you can judge anything by the way he positions his car at, uh, at the end, except from it being a little bit provocative in an unnecessary way, I think. But also, I love... Norris. He's a genius in the same way Leclerc is, George Russell and Verstappen. It's a new class. But that doesn't make a team treat Ricciardo as they think they do, vibing wise. (laughs) (laughs) If that makes sense. The problem McLaren have is they have two alpha males in their team. But they are a a team that is in the position where they're not going to fight for either championship. The only thing that is important to McLaren right now is points and finishing fourth place. That is it. It doesn't matter if Lando is ahead of Daniel. Daniel is ahead of Lando. Daniel is ahead of Lando. You can do this. What matters (laughs) is they are the next best car behind the Red Bulls, the Ferraris, and and the Mercedes. That is all that matters. So one of them being ahead of the other doesn't matter. Just get those points in, which is why they didn't want to let them fight. So McLaren did the right thing, but they've got two drivers who are going to fight them the whole way. Which I think neatly wraps it up by going back to Karen's statement you mentioned earlier about the team mishandling. The thing that sticks out to me most in hindsight, and there's no way I would have twigged to this during the race, just to be clear, is that the McLaren was faster on the hard tire. So they should have had Ricardo ahead of Norris and Norris ahead of Ricardo at each end to try and get by Alonso. And the team didn't realize it either, but I guarantee you that's something they will think about for the future. Um, they never would have got past Alonso. The Alpine was the fastest car in a straight line, <laughs> yeah. and the McLaren was the slowest car in a straight line. I don't think they would have had a chance getting past Alonso. Okay, you all keep saying Alonso. You, you want me to press the button, don't you? Whose fault is it? Oh! Whose fault is it that about eight cars didn't get to do their qualifying laps? It's something that's come up. Alonso. <laughs> okay, who wants to lead this? Me. Okay, Fanchi. <laughs> he did a Rosberg and did it worse. Allegedly. I, cor- I don't know what corner it was. I don't care what corner it was. He slowed down early, hampering Albon, then wiggled the steering wheel around <laughs> and then drove off the circuit. The guy is too good, and I don't like praising Alonso, but the guy is too good to make mm. stupid errors at slow speed like that. And it drives me insane that you're getting the people on the people who jumped on Nico Rosberg <laughs> in Monaco in 2014, 2015, whatever it was, um, for doing the same thing and calling him an idiot and a cheat and whatever, are calling Alonso a genius. He's a cheat. He's always been Ooh, a cheat. Okay. He's always Alleg- been dirty. The words of- allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, no, the words of Alex Mangine. Been- no, no, okay, no. Sometimes, okay, okay, sometimes okay. you have to say allegedly. Sometimes you have to specifically remove yourself from those comments. So those are the words of Alex Mangine. <laughs> okay. Okay. He's always been dirty. I don't think that's 
he's always he's always had an agenda, and the head of the agenda is Alonso first, and it drives me insane that he gets away with it every single time. And I'm talking for you, Kyle Power, because I know how strongly you feel about it. <laughs> Christian, jeez, we're going to get sued. <laughs> Well, it's basically the same. I, uh, maybe not so vocal about it as, as uh, yeah. Alex, but there's just, it's a weird feeling because I enjoyed when he returned. I hated that year with uh, uh, Hamilton in 2007. He destroyed himself there, but he, he redeemed himself. And now he's actually <laughs> ruining himself again. I mean, what is going on? Does no one help him managing his, his ego or his brand? I don't understand. Oh, okay, you say that. And I, I think I have confessed this before, so I, I don't think this is a brand new confession, but Fernando Alonso is my guilty pleasure in... Fernando Alonso is my chips with ke- Don and kebab meat on top. That is my... I, I will go and get that stone cold sober on my own. It, I will drive in my car to a town centre, surround myself with drunk people to get my chips with kebab meat on top. I know that's not good for anyone Fernando Alonso is my F1 equivalent of that. I don't know why, Matt, that I I like it. I, it's the energy. I think it's the way he does it. I think it's the neck that he does it with. Yeah, well, I <laughs> there was nothing more entertaining to me than seeing him say, oh, so we're allowed to drive through turn, through the runoff area of turn one and we won't get penalized? Okay, here, I'm going to well, pass five cars. I dare you to that penalize. That was Sochi. Was it Sochi? Yeah, and, so, yeah. And again, was it in Kota where he, he just like, where there were those holes in the regulations and he would just blatantly in do Into Lagos as well, there was something like that, yeah. I was, I love that because frankly, I, I feel like that was a kind of a mirror the sport needed held up to itself. But it felt like this was a much more, I'm just <laughs> going to use the word selfish use of that power yeah, yeah. and 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 i did not appreciate it because i mean lord knows that maneuver has a history and you know we did talk about maybe some rules changes that could address it but unless those rules do change uh, you're going to continue to see the trollmeister troll so just one quick note about alonso uh the danish racing driver nicholas kisa who used to do uh, formula one a couple of seasons uh, he was, uh, I think this was in his Minardi times, he was in the back and Alonso had, uh, I think maybe Renault days had uh, a penalty or something. So he started at the back. And uh, apparently uh, Chiesa said something to the effect of, don't worry, I'll let you buy in the first corner or something like that. And his answer was, I don't care, I'll overtake you anyway. Mm. And people with that approach to life, when you're given a hand, then you just decline it because you're above it. I mean, just shows. Yeah, it's like a it's like a busy roundabout. Sometimes you've just got to be Alonso and say, "I know you're going to beep at me, but I I've now progressed from my junction, and you had the choice to either hit me or wait, and you waited. Thank you very much. I'm getting on with my life." My biggest problem with Fernando Alonso is he's so good. <laughs> That's my problem. No, it's too Very late. true. Is, Very is, true. Is, is, is he is potentially he he had the he had the possibility to be one of the greatest drivers of all time because he is that good. But his attitude and his poisonousness, if that's even a word, 
is just such a is so heavy on his shoulders that um, it for it stops him from going mm. forward, and that all started all about Hungary two thousand and seven. Okay, I will counterpoint. Alonso is one of the greatest drivers that in Formula One history. The statistics might not show that. I think his performances, if you have watched closely and and listened to his own propaganda. <laughs> I might add that even without his propaganda, I think he is definitely one of the stars of Formula One, whether you count him and him among the, the greats or whatever. But let's talk about modern day Alonso. Matt, you are a big Ocon fan. Ocon's had a great yeah. career so far. There's more to come from him. This season, undoubtedly, Alonso has grabbed the Alpine by the neck and been able to just establish himself as the number one so far this season. Yeah, which is why he has so many more points than Ocon. Oh, I haven't looked at the table. I should have looked at the table before I made that assertion. <laughs> it's about three to one. Oh, is it? No way. It's Ocon. Yeah, Ocon's about three to so one. So why ahead. have I got the perception? I've fallen for the Alonso propaganda <laughs> then, haven't I? As Ocon the- finishes the races and scores points, and Alonso mostly didn't for a long time. You do need to finish the races and score points. So because Matt has uh, has owned me on that, I'm going to play a bumper. Goes, it all goes away. No one can remember that the Matt won that argument. So if you want to see Matt win more arguments, you can support us at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. If we get 10 new patrons in after this race review, I will let Matt be right in some arguments. That's how, that's how it works, Matt. You never genuinely beat me in an argument. It's all Patreon supported. That's right. You mm-hmm. just let me win sometimes for the sake of the show. And I appreciate that. You know, some of my favorite moments on Mistake Practice where I'm, I'm doing a, a, a heartfelt, a passionate argument, and then you just come out with a thing and I go, ah, ah damn. And then I have, I have that moment, <laughs> do, do I admit that you won or do I double down? And more often than not, I, I do double down. But do go and support us at patreon.com forward slash Apex. Not only do you get an ad-free feed, but at certain tiers you get a little bit of extra bonus content, which is not hidden uh, behind a paywall content it's just more personal stuff where we'll do a more relaxed stream talk about our personal lives a little bit and have a more kind of relaxed conversation about formula one where we don't mind if we get sued basically we go into van gene mode but mostly you know that you are supporting independent content creator we would not be here without your support patreon.com forward slash missed apex Okay, any other business to round off this Baku race review? Uh, Alpha Tauri looked really good. Is this just track-specific? Both those drivers seem to be firing this season. It, was it just the Honda engine, Matt, or, or, or was there any more? I, th- I guess the Honda engine means they're not restricted on how much downforce they could put on. Yeah, well, I don't know how much downforce they were running, but I think you could say this was definitely a track that suited their basic concept. And both drivers executed very well this weekend. It's unfortunate that Tsunoda's DRS stopped working. But (laughs) they're not the only Red Bull-associated team that has had DRS problems. So I'm not necessarily entirely surprised by that either. So I've long said to everyone, everyone who would listen from an engineering background, if if it doesn't move and it's supposed to, WD-40, if it's moving and it's not supposed to, duct tape. And that, that is exactly the, the method that Alpha Tauri chose when half of Yuki Snowda's DRS was opening and half of it wasn't. They called him in 
and they just went to the back of the car and started slapping some duct tape on it. And as much as that looks a little bit cowboy, for I I think in my experience of keeping electric, electrical mechanical systems on the move, sometimes duct tape is the best method for just maintaining some structural integrity. It doesn't look pretty, but their aim was keep that from uh, keep that from falling apart as long as we don't use the DRS. So I think the second they press the DRS button, that thing crumbles and falls apart. But as a running repair, I think it was okay. And they didn't get another meatball flag. So I think quick thinking from Alpha Tower, Alex, well done. 10 out of 10 kept them in the race. Yeah, for a quick fix, yeah, fine. But it was at the points. Did he end yeah. up in the points? No, what do you want then him to do? The... Do you want him to park then... it? But, yeah. You know, I, I just I didn't see the point. They were well out of the points by that point. However, the most interesting thing from that was very shortly after, they told Max not to use DRS, which tells me it's the same mechanism Ooh, that's interesting. On, on the Alpha Towery that it must be on the Red Bull, and they still have issues with that DRS mechanism. All the way back from it, they had these issues last year, didn't they? So, um, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I think there's something deeper going on there that could rear its head. Matt? Yeah, well, I love it. I mean, we see that tape in NASCAR all the time. It's legitimate at that speed for that purpose. And it was genius because changing the whole structure that that rear wing is attached to would have taken entirely too long, would have been pointless. So, so yeah, I, I loved seeing a bit of old school engineering reappear in the pit lane. Well, the fact that you can build basically a spaceship for tarmac... <laughs> but can't build a DRS actuator or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something's definitely fishy there, and there's there must be something about the rear wing. Yeah. No I, I, no, I agree. It's going wrong far too frequently, and I think the big smoking gun, the giveaway, is the amount of times it doesn't work or looks really flexible in free practice where you can do whatever you want. You can, you can strap a UFO. You can, you can put a washing line on your car and do the whole team laundry on the back of the car in free practice one if you want to. But what happens is that Red Bull wing is vibrating massively. It looks proper dodgy. That would get you kicked out of a race. And then they go, hmm, we'd, we'd better not use that. And they fix it. So they're clearly pushing the rules for the, the rear wing to the limit, Christian. It also says a lot that it's only on Verstappen's car in the Red yes. Bull cars, well, doesn't I, it? Uh... I mean... Yeah. yeah, okay, we're not going to get into no, it. No, no, the, the thing here, Christian, is that I keep saying to people, because I'm sure that I keep hearing people say from the Red Bull team openly that Perez is not on the same spec as Max Verstappen. People argue with me all the time on this, and I know uh, Helmut Marco has said one thing, and Adrian Newey has said other things, so it is hard to tease out whether they're on the same spec or not. And there was a lot of talk about a weight-saving upgrade that Verstappen got that Perez didn't get. But for me, the big giveaway is that Verstappen's wing is consistently doing the flappy-flappy thing and having DRS problems, and Perez's car is not. So my suspicion is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Matt at feed, uh, feedback at mistapex.net. Nah, <laughs> Matt there. at mistapex.net. So feedback at mistapex.net goes to both me and Matt, but you can do spanners and Matt yeah. at mistapex.net. 
I, I think that they're not on the same spec of car, which is which is reasonable. If they're throwing things at, uh, at one car uh, to, to gain an advantage and keeping a baseline with another car, I think that's valid. Mercedes are clearly doing the same thing as well. All right. I think the last thing I want to do before the awards is talk about uh, Aston Martin. So Vettel seems to be finding his form, had a really good race here. If you compare that to their number one driver, Lance Stroll, who was down in the Billionaires Club, Vettel really performed excellently, except for that one mistake, Christian. But but he could have put that Aston Martin on fourth, which I think says more about where the team is at than where he is at. But if if that had been a fourth place for, for Vettel today, that would have you know really given us a marker of where they are. It was a little bit of a strange uh, uh, runoff, I think, strong, for him. It was weird, wasn't yeah, it? He yeah, was, he was positioned strangely in the middle of the road somehow. But anyway, I, I, I totally dig the way uh, Fettel has been racing for the last couple of races. I, th- I find that he's, uh, he's showing his form in a completely different way to Stroll, who is basically going backwards. And and we wouldn't expect this from uh, Sebastian Vettel. Everyone was like, "That's that's the old guy with the LBTQ uh, thing talking points." Yeah, yeah. But he's actually showing his pace, and I also think the way he drove his uh, Aston Martin on race compared to how you see Leclerc and Sainz drive the Ferraris, he's very aggressive. He's racy, yeah. and he he tries stuff. And I mean, was it six position position six? Yeah, he finished six. I mean. Impressive. Yeah. It, it was good. And that overtake against Stockholm, Matt, he sort of, it looked like he had it done, but then he, I guess he's very wary of cutting across the apex and chopping Ocon's nose off. But may, maybe he just didn't realize, you know, how, how far ahead he was. Yeah, I think that was very much him trying to leave room in case Ocon got yeah. his braking wrong, which is something that you learn to do. Sometimes people get their braking wrong. <sighs> And just drive right into you. <laughs> you don't want that to happen if you can avoid it. Ferrari, Ferrari Vettel would never have done that. Yeah. Ferrari Vettel would have taken the apex. And if Ocon's there, tough luck. Yeah, no, mm. very much. And I think that's just sort of his maturity and, and class showing up a little bit. But it was a great result for the team. You know, it's the first really decent result they've had since they uh, borrowed their latest set of designs. Mm. And um, hopefully it means that they're getting to grips with it a little bit, which will pose some more interesting questions, I'm sure, for us in the future. Look, I made a jaded anti-Stroll comment, so it's only fair that we go to Mr. Apex's number one Lance Stroll fan, Alex Van Jean. Get No, don't do it, don't. Of my You're not allowed to curse here, I'm told. (laughs) He, I mean, Stroll qualified. Drove me insane. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. do you know what? He's made a mistake. He's locked up and he's touched the barriers. Fine. I have no issue with that. He then continued for another lap, took the first corner, and then binned it in the wall at the second one. I mean, what? Mm. I mean, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Lawrence Stroll is obviously an incredible businessman. You don't become a billionaire by accident. Mm. But nepotism is just far too much but to be fair the thing i was going to talk about was um that um vettel overtake okay when he when just gonna casually pivot to yeah that's that's where i was gonna go okay um 
people are praising him for his amazing um, recovery. And it was good. He slammed on the brakes, he spun it round and got it straight back out and only lost about six or seven it seconds. It was good, yeah. Well done, Seb. Mm. However, the move was well done. Yeah. Long before he started to break. Yeah, it's a so mistake. It's a mistake. It was a big yeah. mistake, though, because he could have been fighting Lewis Hamilton for fourth place. He could mm. have cost Lewis Hamilton fourth place. Um, so, you know, and it's things like that, which is where we don't have the old Seb. People are saying, oh, the old Seb's back. He looks like the old Seb. He doesn't because old Seb doesn't make those mistakes. Okay. And just to touch on, on Lance Stroll, Maria in our live chat says, Lance was not so prone to such mistakes. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. In the, before this season, I was saying I, I'm, I'm, I'm broadly fine with Stroll because, yes, he's had unprecedented opportunity, but he's used that to, to become broadly fine. And throughout his career, he's never been a crashy driver. He's never got in anyone's way. He's, he's not been, apart from the thing with his uh, not looking in his mirrors and occasionally chopping people on the apex. <laughs> Except for all the crashes. Oh, yeah, especially, apart apart from all the times he crashed into people, I've not found him overly offensive apart from the, the lack of being at the very top echelon of talent. But But recently he has started crashing more and causing more problems. And I do wonder if it's something about this regulation change where the billionaire club, the buy-in drivers club is struggling more. So like in this race, we really did see Latifi, Stroll, Schumacher just not bothering anyone. And obviously uh, there was crashes in Monaco. Even on the warm-up lap, that was Latifi and Stroll again. Latifi has been getting in crash after crash. I do wonder if there's something about these cars that is harder for the buy-in drivers to drive. Well, Latifi did finish above Stroll today, but only because Stroll was 16th not finishing and Latifi was 15th and, and behind. Um, but I, I just, I, I'm, I'm fed up with both of them, if I'm brutally honest. And I, I don't know. I, I, it's, with, with regards to Stroll, it's the mediocrity of Stroll. If Stroll wasn't backed by a billionaire and he'd managed to get himself into Formula One without the big backing, he just wouldn't be here anymore. No. And then the same goes in lesser terms for Latifi, mm-hmm. you know, and Latifi seems like a really lovely guy, but that's not what we want from our Formula One drivers. We want the best. We want excellence. Yeah. And you've got guys like Piastri sat on the sidelines who don't have a drive in Formula One because you've got two billionaires in the sport who we can't get out of it. You've been brutal today, Van Jean. You know, I, I, there, was part of wine, my, there was part of my training that said, once you pull the pin, Mr. Grenade is not your friend anymore. And I think that's the same with you and Merlot. <laughs> However, I've been, I, off, I've been off the show a while. So getting back on, I need to get my points across. I will say I have enjoyed this review a little bit more than the race. Here's the podium. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix. For all my grumbles about it, I will say reluctantly that it has become a feature of the F1 calendar. It has its quirks. It has things that I don't like about it, but it has things that are unique. As a viewing experience throughout a whole weekend, it does have its place on the Formula One calendar. My prejudice against street circuits aside. So here is the part 
of Missed Apex Podcast, where we give out awards. We do a good thing award. We do a bad thing award where we get to judge these top mechanics, engineers, teams, and athletes from the comfort of our sofas and sheds. And then we will leave you in peace and we will line up some great midweek content and look forward to the Montreal Grand Prix. So let's start with our thing of the weekend. All right. This is the positive part of the show. Who wants to go? Who wants to go first? Any volunteers for thing of the weekend? Of course, Van Jean. Uh, you are, so, in fact, before you get going, you are at Alex Van Jean. On Alex Van Jean. Twitter. You spell it weird. So it's V-A-N-G-E-E-N. Yep. At Alex Van Jean. You, yep. you, you were doing good streaming stuff, but you've had and a lot then, of... Uh, yeah. So I've had a break because yeah. I'm having a lot of work done to my house. Yeah. Once my house is done, which is I'm close, back in my, I'm back in my yeah. house. It's nearly yeah. done. End of the month, and I have a new rig, and a new rig, and, and a new pod room, and, and, and everything will be permanent. So I can stream, and I'm going to make videos, and I'm going to be fully back on it. Yeah. Um, for about a month till I get bored. And I'll forget. <laughs> so but what I want to do, fun. as soon as you get that up and running, I want to do some iRacing streaming content. You and me with our side by side views, uh, taking on various things uh, yes. around iRacing and, and talking through it and uh, having some adventures. Hell yes. Okay, let's so, do that. I struggled with a good thing today, um, and I went to Twitter you to cheated. ask them. Because I, I literally, I, I could not think of a single good thing. The thing that was actually most said was Vettel's spin um, to get back onto the circuit. and I, I, I just can't give it to that. So what I am giving it to is I'm giving it to Liam Tortellini on Twitter who said, Danny Rick having a good race because I agree because I think Danny was great today. It yep. was good to see him only within a couple of tenths yep. of, uh, of Lando in qualifying, which is the closest he's been for a while. And he really, really hustled the car. He... Um, and deserve the position where he is. Mm. And please, 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 can we have more of that from Danny Ricardo? For a driver that is struggling in the, at the beginning of the season, you are pr- praying for a, a result exactly like that. And it doesn't matter whether you are 17th, 1st or 8th. As long as you're ahead of your teammate, that is a shot in the arm. Christian Pedersen, you refuse mm. all attempts to get involved in social media, <clears throat> so we cannot follow you anywhere. Uh, except if we go that to- is not true because when you mentioned something from Alex I just signed into my Twitter I have a Twitter no apparently. oh my goodness I do okay is it and at- but I've never used it actually <laughs> it's called the uh, uh, iKred which is I-K-R-E-D-E that and is- I'm gonna I'm gonna oh. put it in the Slack Danish is incredible like every vowel in the Danish language sounds like Ugh, and that is your Twitter handle so yeah we- but it's uh, actually I have a Danish nickname, so really? in Denmark I'm mainly known as Krill. Oh, okay. And I Krill is as iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Don't feel put off if you can't understand that vowel. Danish vowels <laughs> are in- ridiculous and disowned by the rest of the yeah, Viking I'm sorry. kingdom. But but what we will do is we will put links in the show notes on YouTube and in your podcast app, so you can go and follow Christian. Christian, what's your thing over the cool. weekend? My, it's going to be the Asian drivers. So oh. that's Sonoda okay. and Guan Joe. Nice. And uh, I just think they are, uh, I think Sonoda is showing great form and has been all year. Yes. I think Guan Joe is just, I mean, Bottas is doing really good, but this rookie, he's doing really, really good if you can compare to Bottas. Oh, I, I said say. at Monaco, Christian, that I just, I had something just start to spark in my brain that said, ooh, 
Joe, and it wasn't to do with the driving. It was his approach to the weekend that made me go, oh, hang on, Joe. Exactly. I feel the exact same way that when when he speaks on the on the radio, uh, the way he drives, I mean, he's just he's very mature from his mm. experience uh, point of view. And I mean, I support those guys. All right, Matt, two rumpets. You have a Twitter. I do yeah. at Matt PT fifty five, but I think everybody already knows that. Who no, cares? Not enough people follow Matt on <clears throat> Twitter. All right, I I know nothing about strategy. I just I, all I do is come on here and argue with people, and I've got eleven point four thousand Twitter followers. At least half of you need to go and follow Matt at Matt PT fifty five. You're criminally underfollowed, Matt. Oh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, the people who find me, yeah, you know, you get what you get. Did you see, did you see how I seemed like I was being nice about you, but I was also flexing about having 11.4? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no. Okay, okay uh, as long I, as I, you picked up on that, that's fine. I totally, so uh, think, my thing think, of the weekend the comes weekend, with yeah. a disclaimer, which is that Max Verstappen did a very, very good job this oh, weekend, yeah. Yeah, no, as did Red Bull and Perez. Mm. And the only reason we didn't talk about them more is just because they had no competition at the front yeah. and they just did their jobs and were amazing at it. And having said that and having dismissed Albin, who I think did a good job, but it's not going to make it. The thing that made my race today was the meatball flag. Seeing the meatball <laughs> flag shown for an actual formula one car. I can't even remember the last time I saw that, but it just, I was like, okay, if nothing else, this race is now going into the history books. No. Okay. My thing of the oh, go on, Alex. By the way, it's only I races that call it the meatball flag. It's actually never ever called the meatball Isn't flag it? in any in any other real sporting event. We always call it the meatball oh, in I racing. Okay. But so people who go, people go, what's the meatball flag? That's the black and orange flag oh, that Yuki okay. Sonoda got. It does look was it like Snowda? A, a meatball. Yeah, also, it was Yuki Sonoda got, which I've definitely never ever seen in I racing. Have I ever given thing of the weekend to Lewis Hamilton before? I'm not sure I have. You're crazy ham You must have done. Okay, well, I'm going to do it again. Maybe I did it like a million times, then got yelled at, then stopped doing it for a bit. But I'm giving my thing of the weekend to Lewis Hamilton for experimenting. And I, I think experimenting, knowing it might go wrong, does show some guts. It shows some determination. It is a slap in the face to people like me who have gone, hey, do you know what? He is kind of getting on a bit. He is a bit old which wasn't completely dispelled by the way he got out of the car because I'm not denying that it was difficult what he went through today, but he got out of the car much more like a 41-year-old like me than a young pup like uh, who's the youngest driver on the grid. Like He's 37, not 41. 37. No, I'm just saying he seemed more like a 40-year-old dad getting out of that car. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It did look awful, but my thing of the weekend will go to sticking with that because it seemed brutal. And even Toto Wolff during the race said, we don't know if he will be able to get through to the end of the race. He stuck with it. That extra porpoising was there because he is experimenting with the car. There is fight in that old dog and he is an old dog. I'm going to give him my thing of the weekend. I'm, I'm going to still say, don't write Mercedes off yet. And if Mercedes come back, it's not necessarily going to be Lewis Hamilton. But if Mercedes do come back and George Russell ends up being the one who takes that challenge to Red Bull and Mercedes uh, and Ferrari, Lewis Hamilton will have contributed to that. Christian. I'm just going to add, he did mention I'll be at the factory tomorrow. So he's not giving up. <laughs> no. Just so you know. 
Oh, but there was some doubt uh, issued immediately after the race about him racing in Canada. They they thought that it might be enough that they are looking at alternatives for Canada. It was speculation. I, I don't believe that. Wild speculation, from- you say? We would never... Wild, wild, wild speculation just because he might not be fit enough. It's, mm. to, it's, it, not, next it's, week. it's not next It's called building a case. It? It's called building some drama. And uh, Exactly. Yeah. Oh, the Hamilton camp, it loves some drama, but we love it too. And now let's do the bad thing award. Do, do you want me to say it live? No. So, Christian has has given away that my jingle did not fire and the <laughs> images came up, but those of you listening would not have heard anything. So um, I, I, I'll go, oh, no, you missed the apex, like my son would normally say. So it's the missed apex award. Who missed the apex for you? Alex Vanji. Lance Bloomin Stroll. Oh. Um, I've already had a go about yeah, this. I've have, already yeah. had a rant. Um, I, he's just not fit for purpose anymore. I mean, what happened in qualifying just should never, ever happen. And then he was, you know, he was miles off Vettel mm. um, in, in the race. And it seems to be these kind of circuits, which are driver circuits where he's always miles behind. Mm. And I've just had enough. So I've had enough because mm. I don't mind Aston Martin as an outfit, as a brand. I love Aston Martin. I like Sebastian Vettel more than I ever used and, to. And that team, that team has a lot of love. Like that's that team India. has a lot of love. Yeah. There's so much history yeah. in that team. You know, most of those guys are from the Jordan days, and I love Jordan. You know, and because you know they were the, they were the original party team. You know, <laughs> but I just. You know, Lance, uh, Lawrence Stroll has now got to finally realise that his son isn't cut out for Formula One. No, and no, he needs to. And he needs no, to no, no. He doesn't because the rumor mill, and we were talking with Joe about this, is that if Vettel retires, and that is the strong rumor, that Mick Schumacher will be the driver that comes in next. Because, well, because Stroll will probably be better than Mick Schumacher. Uh, I mix mix gone down in everyone's estimations. Mm. I think this season because K Mag's just turned up, and K Mag's a good driver. We've all rated K Mag as a good, he's proper um, yard, as a yeah. good yardstick, proper racing driver, and he's trounced Mick. <laughs> uh, Peter Shilcock in the chat has said, "Do you think that Alex Van Gene has had enough?" Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he has. So, uh, Christian Patterson, who missed the apex for you? Can I just mention uh, signing Schumacher for next year in Aston Martin would be a death sentence to that team yeah. because how how to demotivate all of your staff, point one, mm-hmm. hire a f- slower driver. I mean, you can't do that. Anyway, my uh, my uh, bad thing of the week is uh, we don't have to debate this now, but this will, will eventually either be walked back profoundly or it will become a profound issue for the sport in general and that is the comments from the FIA president on on drivers being too political oh, i think that will be an issue in the future and we can talk about that when it becomes an issue but that is my didn't have to happen thing of the week okay and i will back you that i was disappointed in the FIA president's comments i think he himself walked it back and also F1 as an organization walked back from it as well. So I hope that is indicative of their future direction and viewpoint on these things. I, I do like Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris et al. Using the platform 
to talk about subjects that are important to them. Apologies to that if anyone thinks that makes me too fluffy. Matt, do rumpets. Who missed the apex for you? Well, this is going to seem, well, not so important anymore. Yeah, make a, make a big political stand, Matt, or you're not as good as Christian. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I, it's, it's, no, it's all right because you're not wrong, you know, and that's a thing. But for me, the person who missed the apex, or I think more importantly, missed the 15-second warning on the pit grid, was poor Latifi's mechanic. Oh, no. Yes. Who rolled, so looked at his watch, walked over, calmly rolled him back, therefore ensuring that he was immediately going to get a 10-second stop and go since he wasn't starting from the pit lane now. Yeah. Although you could also give that loot to... Um to Latifi for needing to be rolled back in the first place wow. thank you very much guys for listening to our, our Missed Apex Baku Grand Prix race review look in the show notes to support us on Patreon and to follow our crew follow the newly twittered or rediscovered on Twitter Christian Pennison, Alex Van Jean and Matt Two rumpets. And you can also follow me at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. I'm also on Facebook. You can catch me, Richard Ready. I'm on Instagram. Search for Spanners Ready on there. And I've got a few TikTok videos as well if you want to look for them. I think we're going to catch up with, I think, what might be the host of the top F1 podcast at the moment in the iTunes charts in America, which is the Ringer F1 podcast. Kevin Clark is going to jump on and speak to us within the next week and a half, either this week or after Canada. And I would be absolutely delighted if we could hook up a Baku pre-Montreal mailbag as well. So get your questions in to feedback at mistapex.net, your questions or comments, and we will put that into a show where me and Matt address your emails. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Slap some duct tape on and call it job done. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. 
Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.